Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome to Pretty Lies and Alibis. Let's seek the truth and travel the long road to justice together. What you know, alibiers, welcome to another episode of Pretty Lies and Alibis. I'm Gigi. Hope you're having a great Tuesday so far. I'm early today and it feels really good. I don't think I've put an episode out early in months. And I've got mom duties tonight. My son, who will be 16 next month, he is a junior firefighter. And he's put in over 2,000 hours volunteering with local fire departments. And so he's going to tour the career center to get his firefighter to education. So when he graduates, he can go on and go to like EMT or paramedic school and and kind of cross those together. So I'm super proud of him. He just has chosen to do something positive with his free time on the weekends. And it's just a good feeling knowing he's out there learning about the real world, the dangers of the real world, and just being a good kid. I've been blessed with three awesome, awesome kids. They make mom life very easy. So you guys liked this prison series. And this is something that was done actually about two years ago, back when Fruit Loop was on here with me. And I had reconnected with somebody I knew since childhood who is serving life in prison in California. And a lot of things have evolved since we first did this series in that I've kept in touch with her off and on for the last couple of years. And I've learned a lot more than when we originally did this series. So I'm kind of going back through notes, adding in things, going through emails with her. And and just, you guys really seem to like it because it's, it's unique. You can watch documentaries. You can kind of watch Orange is the New Black and all those things. But to hear about it firsthand from somebody who lives it every day, there's a different element that's not as sensationalized as what you see on TV. And also people, as I said on Monday's episode, according to her, play it up for the cameras if they're around. So it's not a super accurate depiction of everyday life inside for the most part. But a lot of people have asked me who my friend is and what she's in for and that kind of thing. She actually did not physically murder somebody, but it's that that law where – If you're involved, you still get the murder charge. I don't really want to talk about her case, mainly just out of respect for the victim's family. I don't want them to hear this and and know exactly who I'm talking about. I just try not to cause pain to other people when they're clearly going to suffer for the rest of their life for the loss of their family member. So it's one of those deals where I'm grateful that she's given insight into what it's like to be a lifer without the chance of ever getting out. So yeah, it it gives me a unique opportunity to bring it to you. And it's very unique to her. So I'm not saying this is how it's going to be in a South Carolina men's prison. But I think overall, a lot of the themes are the same. And a lot of the day-to-day monotony and drama probably crosses over gender lines and whatever facility you're at, whether it's minimum or maximum, just with varying degrees of, of severity. So music fact of the day real quick. Oh, first, big thank you to Sherry and Disco Apocalypse for your donations. I really appreciate you guys. 
Oh, brother, where art thou? I tweeted out the song. He's in the jailhouse now. I love that soundtrack. It's great. But the soundtrack was named Grammy Awards Album of the Year in 2002. It was the first movie soundtrack to win that Grammy's prize since 1994. And the last one to do it before Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? The Bodyguard, Whitney Houston. Every song is amazing on that soundtrack. And since Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? No other soundtrack has won that Grammy Award since then. All right. Before we jump into prison life, Randy Murdoch spoke out to the New York Times for the first time since Alec was arrested back in September of 2021. Now, you have to remember, Alec stole money from Randy. Randy, in turn, sued him once he had been arrested. So his opinion about the trial and the murders, he says he knows more than what he's saying. He's not telling the truth, in my opinion, about everything there. Randy noted that in the wake of the murders, he was doing everything he could to assist in the investigation, reaching out to people, trying to find out the word on the street. He would pass anything he thought was relevant on to investigators. But he said, I spent considerable time day after day for weeks on end calling people. Alec did not. It's very telling. The not knowing is the worst thing there is. By the way, he says he hasn't talked to his brother in a year. It's interesting to hear from him. And apparently the New York Times reporter spent some time stacking and chopping wood with Randy. I was kind of wondering. He was kind of a regular fixture at the trial, but he definitely was the sibling that was there the least. He was not there for verdict. He was not there uh, for a lot of the big moments. So... Prison slang term of the day, y'all, dry snitching, ratting out another inmate by talking loudly about their bad behavior in front of prison staff. Food slang term of the day, a choke sandwich, that's a peanut butter sandwich with no jelly. Not going to lie, I love choke sandwiches. My dad's mom just used to put the right amount of peanut butter on there. It's a comfort food for me. I do eat it all the time. That's the only thing about being into pokey I could get used to is a choke sandwich, but your girl would not thrive otherwise. All right, so the most common meal where she is is called a spread. You get very hot tap water, the hottest you can get it. It doesn't get crazy hot where she is. You pour that into a bag of crushed chips. Then you kind of let it set for a while. Then top with squeezed cheese to make a baked potato if you use plain chips or a tamale if you use Doritos. Now you know. There are crazy TikTok videos, y'all, of prisoners that have contraband cell phones that put, that put cooking videos up. Very fascinating what they do. They'll take a hot plate and they'll sand the metal bunk down and they'll stick that hot plate underneath and they literally can fry bacon, y'all. It's, it's insane. I guess you have to get creative when you're there and you can't go nowhere and you got access to only commissary stuff. So high risk and high profile inmates are often put in an isolation isolation cage on the prison transport bus. We've seen that with Alec every day in that black van. He's in that kind of gray looking cage, essentially. The cages are built into the sides of the bus and gated doors separate the compartments. For her, there was a low security compartment with benches and another area for prisoners in wheelchairs. In the cage, it was hard to make out people's faces. 
The floor and the bench she sat on was metal, and she was transported in the middle of the night. There was no sleep to be had with the clinging of metal chains against the metal floor and benches. The reality of prison life set in. The horror of what awaited was all she could think about. She wasn't in a hurry to get there because she knew she would never leave once she arrived. Once they were off the freeway and the bus started making turns, the tension on the bus was obvious. Half of the occupants would be home within a few years, but the other half of them wouldn't see home for 20 or, 20 or more years or never at all. Seeing the fences, the guard towers, and the barbed wire really hit hard. Someone yelled, welcome to prison. She was the last one to be let off, and she did not want to leave the cage. She knew as she stepped off the bus, she was stepping into a whole new world she could not control. They lined the prisoners up against the wall and removed their cuffs and shackles. For her, she said it made her feel vulnerable and naked. She wanted them back on. Everyone was marched to receiving. They were told to turn and face the wall, and then they were given a prison ID. They were sent to a holding cell where they were giving, for the women, a muumuu dress. I, I would pay money to see Alec Murdoch in a muumuu. A pair of socks and flip-flops. She was told to undo her hair and take off her clothes. Personal items are all gone. They're taken away. They ask if anyone has anything to surrender, where they are put in a circle, and then they are strip-searched. They are told to face the officer, lean over, and shake out their hair. They are told to lift their breasts to be sure nothing is hidden. Little trap door into there for some of us, right? You show underarms behind your ears. You lift your body rolls. You turn away from the officer, bend over, spread your cheeks, and cough three times. Then they were allowed to get dressed. Some girls thought it was funny because they were still able to get away with smuggling in drugs. Deals were already being made this soon into arriving. An inmate clerk had two words of advice for the new newcomers. Number one, don't hook up with women who aren't yours. And number two, don't do drugs you can't afford. Attention, Alec Murdoch, don't do drugs you can't afford. So the room had cement benches around the perimeter and the toilet was in one corner. She says her time in county jail took away any shyness about going to the bathroom in front of others. So going potty isn't a big deal by the time you make it to prison. Y'all, uh-uh. They'd have to hospitalize me. I would have like a burst bladder or something or worse. They called each inmate out individually for processing. She saw the items taken from her since the day of the initial arrest and said it was so unfamiliar to her and she had a hard time thinking of those things as hers anymore. She was asked for the items she could not keep if she wanted to donate them or destroy them. She didn't care, so it was tossed into a trash can. She watched a ring she had worn for years fall deeper into the trash can, and her picture was taken for her prison ID. She had interviews with a registered nurse and a psych tech. They watched an orientation video. I can't imagine the welcome to prison, y'all. It's going to be wild. Man, I... I need to YouTube if there's prison orientation videos. I'm not making fun. Look, there are innocent people behind bars, but there's also some really bad eggs behind bars. So, gosh. She said intake day was the slowest day ever for her. They were given box lunches, and then you go to an interview that would determine where you would be housed within the prison. She wanted segregation, but she was denied. 
They were told unless there was a security issue specifically targeting her, she would be in gen pop. They were given a bedroll and toiletries, and they were put into a line and taken into the receiving yard. She was eventually sent to a cell with seven other women. She said the first night there, there were two loud alarms for fistfights, and somebody topped it off by shattering a window. Almost four years for her, she spent in solitary in the jail. It was very overwhelming with all the activity, the people, the sounds, and things that are very familiar to prison, but not necessarily to county jail. It's less populated. People are kind of in and out, more probably on their better behavior if they have a chance of getting out than prison. So she was awakened by violence around her. Some days are full of chaos and anger. She said the inmates, when she first got there, she felt were wild and uncivilized. She found peace by staying in her cell and really just didn't socialize much with others. She says, as time passes in jail, you have a natural and gradual drifting away from those on the outside. The absence is accepted as a loss. The hardest thing for her personally is knowing that everyone she loves will eventually die and she will never share anything meaningful with them again. She won't be able to go to funerals or take care of her family when they're sick. After the end of the day's lock-in and count, they would be brought mail if there were any. Any hope for a letter or picture kept her awake to wait and see if she got any. Most of her friends stopped communicating as soon as she was arrested, and those who were left did the same after sentencing. And I think we definitely have seen that with Alec, his law partners, people that he was close to for decades that were just parts of his family, essentially. I mean, it's a bitter pill to swallow, I'm sure, when you find out somebody that you've been so connected to for, for such a long time isn't who you thought they were. So I, I understand that aspect. She didn't blame them because she knew they would struggle with what to say to her, her old friends after sentencing. I mean, what do you say? Sorry you got life because you got caught up in something you shouldn't have. It's, it, it's very awkward. I have to say when she first reached out to me, I had just had my youngest and I just didn't have time to respond. And you know how it is, third baby, no sleep. But it wasn't until a couple of years later that she reconnected with me or tried to that I thought, okay, you know, there's going to be no harm in emailing her and just catching up and seeing what's going on her way. I, you know, I, I don't like to just close people out altogether. There are a lot of people in prison who have made bad mistakes that are good people that just got caught up in in some things, you know, nonviolent crimes, especially. It's just that for people like Alec, the pain and the deception in the crimes goes so deep. And I mean, you're talking 90-something financial charges that there's a difference in how I feel about people like him compared to somebody who maybe just made a really bad decision but didn't physically hurt somebody, but it was bad enough that you're going to be in the big house for a few years. I just feel like... Sometimes we have to give grace to some people, but they're, if you murder somebody, it's you ain't getting it from me. She didn't really know how to handle getting photos of her family as time went on because she said every picture was a shock to the system. Her nieces and nephews were growing up. Her parents and siblings were getting older. 
And it was all happening away from her. There's a disconnect between you and your family. They want to talk to you about things going on that are happy and exciting, but then they may not want to to make you feel bad. And you really don't have much to talk about as a prisoner other than jailhouse stuff, which sometimes they're reluctant to talk about for a million reasons. When you buy things, you have to keep the item the way it came in the package. Altering clothing is considered contraband. Rolling up your pants, taking in a seam, or any other alteration is a violation. That will get you written up, and it doesn't matter if you paid for it. You know, as we know, clothing and the way we present ourselves is a major way women especially distinguish themselves in the outside world. This is very restricted in prison. Look, y'all. Your girl was raised around a bunch of boys. I'm a tomboy through and through. I was the kid at Easter with like the cute Easter dress and two skint knees. That's just me. I wear band shirts and now I'm wearing these glasses because holy cow, what a whole new world, y'all. I had to break them out during the trial because I couldn't see the witnesses. And then I broke my lens and went and got some this weekend. But look, y'all, I ain't dressing up unless I'm getting married or buried. That's it. But Makeup has to be subtle, but your hair, where she is, it can be wild. You can go shaved, hey Murdoch, or anything in between, but covering your hair is something that has regulations, unless it is a religious thing. She quickly learned the routines of being in prison. They were woken up at 6 a.m., breakfast at 6.30. In jail, for her, her meals were brought to her. In prison, if you want to eat, you go to chow hall. There are rules dictating what you can wear and when you can wear it there in the prison. You have certain attire for work, for the facility yard, the main yard, the med line, and chow hall. You eat fast in chow hall because they have 15 minutes to start and finish. When leaving, they get patted down to make sure you're not taking any food that you're not supposed to. The same routine, every meal, patted down, 15 minutes, rush, rush. Using the phone was a privilege, and to get that, you would have to perform volunteer labor to get that privilege. The problem was that the waiting list of volunteer was long, and sometimes the chance to do work to get those call privileges would be weeks down the road. You know your girl's been lacking in the sleep department lately, but I found something that helps me sleep much better when I do sleep. Who knew that a better pillowcase is all you need for better sleep? Let's talk about practicing self-care while you sleep. Set yourself up with better sleep this year with Blissey's award-winning 100% mulberry silk pillowcases. It gives you better hair and skin. Seriously, silk, it's what's best for your hair and skin. It reduces frizz, tangles, and prevents breakage. That's because it keeps the moisture in your hair and your skincare products and natural moisture on your skin, unlike cotton does. You can say goodbye to wrinkly, dry, flaky skin in the morning and wake up with healthier and shinier hair that won't take you an hour to fix. Blissey's pillowcase regulates temperatures, keeping you cool at night. You don't have to flip the pillow anymore, thank goodness. Unlike other silk pillowcases, these are the highest quality silk. And guess what? They're machine washable and durable. Valentine's Day is coming up, so why not give the gift a better sleep? Plus, it comes in gift-ready packaging they'll be sure to love. I love that the pillow stays cool, I don't have to flip it, and no more sleep lines. Everybody loves them. They have a ton of different prints and colors, and they make great gifts because there's an option for literally anyone. Hey, men, they love them too. 
They have over 1 million raving fans, and you need to be next. Try now, risk-free, for 60 nights at blissy.com slash whattheworld. Get an additional 30% off. That's blissy, B-L-I-S-S-Y dot com slash whattheworld, and use code whattheworld to get 30% off. Your skin and your hair will thank you. Let me tell you all about our sponsor of the week, Pros. There's no one-size-fits-all solution when it comes to hair care, and that's because your hair and your hair goals are completely unique. My hair is dry and frizzy. I wanted to get rid of these problems. Thanks to my personalized pros routine, I can honestly say I've never been in more love with my hair. First, pros asked me for my hair goals, which was smoother hair with color protection. Their in-depth consultation also asks about you as a person. Pros asked me really unexpected things like my age, hair length, do I get split ends, and even my zip code so that pros can factor in the environment my hair lives in. Next, pros analyzed all my answers and handpicked clean ingredients to help me reach my hair goals. I used the Scout Remedy, Clarify and Cleanse, Color Extending Shampoo, and the Smoothing Solution Volume Building Conditioner. I also used the Boar's Hairbrush that makes my hair super smooth. My hair is completely different. The frizz is gone and it's so much softer. All their ingredients are sustainably sourced, ethically gathered, and cruelty-free. They're also the first custom beauty brand to go carbon neutral. If you're not 100% positive pros is the best care hair you've had, they will take the products back, no questions asked. Pros is the key to achieving all your hair goals this year. Take your free in-depth hair consultation and get 15% off your first order today. Go to pros.com slash what the world. That's pros, P-R-O-S-E dot com slash what the world for your free in-depth hair consultation and 15% off. The days are mostly filled with nothing to do. Inmates typically like to sleep, play cards, or read if they have a book. You know, it's you talk about the violence in prison, and that's a very real thing, and there's a lot of things that happen in prison that are horrific to other inmates at the hand of other other inmates and guards and everything in between, especially just, you know, like you watch the Shawshank Redemption. You can just picture prisons being like that back in the day, and maybe even now. I've never been, nor will I ever go. So I don't know, but you think about it's 2023 and there have been a lot of safety measures put in place to protect inmates, especially the prison rape elimination act is a very big deal, but these things still happen in prison. But overall her general consensus is that it is pretty monotonous and boring for the most part. But those times where it's chaotic can just ruin a whole week when you have one bad day, as opposed to six good ones. And I guess that's just prison life. Most lifers are known for being very angry. Talking about going home is something she never does with fellow lifers. They rarely talk about life outside of prison. As she says, the world is gone and lifers don't like to be reminded that the outside world even exists anymore. Conflict in prison usually ends with a black eye, a write-up, and a lockdown cage, maybe a missing tooth if it was bad enough. The inmates who are just trying to survive and trying to hold everything in in those first few months will eventually crack. Whoever pushes their buttons may cause the other to act out or self-harm. The reactions are not proportionate to what caused that outburst. It's a combination of the situation and sometimes a lifetime of suppressing emotions and traumatic experiences that come out with other inmates. 
She said, this is how many lifers actually ended up in prison for life. They just exploded. Initially, she was not placed in a job. These are reserved for people who would eventually get out of prison first. Her roommate told her how she could earn things such as hygiene items, food or clothes by doing what they call prison hustles, which is the thing like washing people's clothes, maybe being a drug mule. She could also sell any item that she could steal. When it was her laundry day, she would have to stay with her clothes because people would steal them. Remember, we said Monday, quality's not good. They typically don't hold up very well. I just knocked the full out of my knee, y'all, right on like the bad part. Oh, lots of mischief from doing and selling drugs and everything in between. She started off by doing others' laundry and a little bit of sewing to earn money or commissary items as repayment. But the first big fight she witnessed in prison really shook her up. She said there was blood everywhere. It even got all over her shirt. Bloody teeth just spit out on the floor. Her cellmate thought the blood on her shirt was hers, and she was upset just talking about the fight she had just witnessed. And her cellmate told her it was going to be a very long life in here if she kept that thin skin and tender heart. Hearing that, she said, caused her to emotionally just break. Her cellmate talked to the captain, and they arranged for her to go to the programming unit, which has a zero tolerance for fighting drugs and everything that is normal in general population. She would have to take classes and attend group therapy. Good behavior was what kept you in there, and this was the most peaceful time in prison she had felt in a while. She also kept communication with her family to a minimum because she knew the pain she had caused them and didn't want them to come visit her. She said it was just easier not to see or talk to them for a while. What about jobs? Prison kitchen jobs are the worst jobs unless you like to steal. It has very low pay. Outside in the main yard, they had a few options for recreation. They could go to the library, the gym, and the recreational area, which had bleachers, handball court, and a basketball court. The most popular area where she is is the walking track, but it's all dirt. The gym often closed due to staffing issues, and the only people who got to go in were the ones who were in the care of the mental health unit. She resolved to herself that the crime and prison was a reflection of her failure as a daughter, a citizen, a friend, and a sister, as well as every other role she had ever been in her life. She wrestled with just getting out of bed every day. She was new in prison, but she was already dreading knowing that every day was not leading her any closer to going home. She knew the only ride out of there would be in the coroner's van. At one point, she said she looked in the mirror and saw a familiar stranger. She noticed her eyes looked hollow and they were almost haunting. She felt no connection with herself at all, and she attempted to harm herself and was found just in time. She was placed in the mental health unit, which is the worst place to be in prison, apparently. Prison overload is the overwhelming feeling of helplessness of any area in your own life. The rules, the people. Well, I think I said that at the first. Yeah, I did say that in the first episode. She says that her go-to escape is sleep because it prevents the other options from looking good. Tonight, when she wrote me this email, we had lots of drunk people fighting, drama, yelling, banging on windows, cursing, and angry frustration filling the air. So bad you could taste it. 
I have prison overload, but I'm hoping the other, others will fall asleep sooner rather than later. I'm going to make coffee so I can stay up and get some peace. Her preference is to sleep all day and stay awake at night when most people are sleeping because it's just much quieter and she can just read her books or do whatever. She said, every day is not this bad, but I have to remember that when I feel very overwhelmed. Power is a very rare thing in prison, and many feel the need to try to find some quickly when they first get there. Once they have a small position of power that comes from being the anchor in a room or just having a job using their skills or expertise and currency, something of value, resource currency, they turn into monsters. These power-grabbing prisoners will cause conflict because they expect you to acknowledge they are more powerful than you are. So I asked her this weekend, do you have any inmates in there that are lawyers? And she said there are a couple, and they are very much in high demand for advice, and typically they try to stay out of the drama, and people don't involve them in the drama as much because they provide a service to inmates that everybody's always looking to get their case reviewed, file an appeal or whatever. And, but at the same time, it can turn around. So if your prison attorney tells you to do this and then it doesn't work, sometimes it could backfire. So it's kind of a 50-50 and a risk to be the prison lawyer, because maybe if you do a good job, you get a good reputation. But if every single person comes back saying it didn't work, you know, you're not going to be real high on uh, no five-star reviews, right? Others insist on demonstrating their power by flaunting their ill-gotten goods or manipulating staff into performing a task that other prisoners know as proof of the prisoner's power and influence. Some of the positions of power came by accident when a staff and a prisoner shared a life event, such as the death the death of a parent, the death of a child, somebody close to them, or simply by just having spent decades around each other all the time. There are bonds there that nobody will break, apparently, and they do have favorites. So if you have a relationship with a supervisor of a position that is sought after in the jail, then you are more likely to get the job over the person who simply follows the standard procedure of filling out a request form. They feel like this is an injustice and an extra form of restriction. This bond, which is called intimacy currency in prison, can be used to manipulate, but occasionally it is used to motivate the inmate towards the path of rehabilitation. In your bunk, you lay with nothing but your thoughts for days. Every other day, she was allowed out to shower, make a phone call, and look for a book in the library. They ordered their canteen once a week if they could afford it. For example, ramen noodles cost $2, as does a small snack bag of chips. So they overprice and all that stuff in there. She said the food there where she is at is not so bad. You have to get past the sight, smell, texture, and taste. After that, she says it is pretty much like gourmet Alpo. She said, I cannot imagine any chef from the Food Network doing the things our chef can with what I'm sure used to be edible ingredients. We can spread our soy burgers as smooth as pate. The proteins have been given such a makeover that I dare the most trained palate to guess the source. Okay, real quick. If you guys work in the food service industry, my dad invented a product. It's called Kettle Seal. So if you work with the big kettles that cook for large volumes of people, 
you know they fail, you know they leak. My dad made one that has food-grade nylon patented in six countries. So it's kettleseal.com, by the way. I'm going to give my dad a shout-out since we're talking about prison food. His unit is in a lot of federal prisons, county jails, state prisons, college campuses. If you work in food service and you've dealt with the leaky plungers, you know. So it's a one and done, and it's guaranteed not to fail, by the way. Back to the food in prison. I'm sure they consulted a rabbi to determine which rodent, feline, and proteins are allowed before they are served as kosher. The rest of us on unrestricted diets just dig right in without asking. The meals are good, so you can feel and taste them for hours after your finish. Some meals, they like to stick around till well into the night. She said the food tries to escape. With deep concentration, you can keep it from escaping your mouth, but sometimes it'll catch you by surprise and race for the southern exit. You're not popular when that happens, by the way, because there's no fan you could flip on and nothing for a courtesy spray. Inmates have the option to send their precious pennies on nuclear win- winter-style food, nuclear winter-style food, at high prices. It supports the prison economy, which benefits about 10% of the inmate population. If your family can take out a second mortgage, you too can be kept stocked in instant coffee and top ramen. The middle-class non-drug addicts struggle because there are fewer groups for them to fit into. They don't have the financial support to shop, join book clubs, or buy extra boxes in people's names and pay for the hustlers who do task work to earn money for creature comforts. That's what she says, creature comforts. If they're not religious, they don't fit in with the religious group, no drug group, don't like to be the ones who drink and brew, don't like loud music, et cetera, et cetera. They tend to be your loners. She said she's seen many people lose it once the reality of prison sets in and becomes too much. Some people just check out emotionally. They go to the mental health building, which she says has really hard cases and people who are definitely suffering from severe mental health issues. Usually people who went on a drug trip, they didn't come back. But life here takes people to the edge. I often tell people if my toes were not curled up over the edge, I would fall over. More often than the checkout is the drug escape. Just do drugs so you don't feel. Many of the middle-class non-drug doers end up as drug addicts. I've been tempted so many times. If some friends had not stopped the sellers, I would most likely be an addict by now. It is easier to get drugs in prison than you could ever imagine. Prison seems forever, and on days any of us feel like this is forever, self-harm becomes an option. So that's kind of episode two. It's it's re it's refascinating for me to go back through these notes and see just how different prison is. There's nothing familiar on the inside. Nothing. It is like culture shock, learning a whole new way of life. And according to her, you never really learn the way of life in there because it's constantly evolving based on people's moods, based on maybe a hearing that they had. A, they thought they were going to get an appeal and they didn't. It, it's just a pressure cooker, it seems. And I think the biggest thing, though, is it, it's not just some MMA fight all day, every day. For the most part, it's very boring, but you know, idols, idle hands is the devil's playground or something like that. Is that the saying? So a lot of times people who aren't strong emotionally to, to resist the temptations of the pitfalls of prison end up becoming 
uh, other people's tools, just that kind of thing, and never really stand on their own two feet. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't thrive, y'all. I'd be in the corner, like, crying for my mom the whole time. I dream, You know, when we did this series originally, I dreamed pretty much every single night that I was in prison and I just wanted to go home. I dreamed I beat my uncle up. And I was like, but he wouldn't be mad. Like, let me out. And then down in Walterboro, one day, y'all, I'm going to have to share some of my dreams about this trial. It was pretty traumatic. I, the first day I dreamed, I knocked my front tooth out. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I have to go on camera in like four hours. And this is all new. And I was already nervous. And now, eh. I think I told y'all that. But anyways, so unless something crazy happens, I might try to do this a few more days this week. I really need to finish up the Valo Daybell mega series. I've got a couple of episodes to finish. It's all court stuff. Nothing super exciting, but I want to make sure I round that out before trial starts next month. If you want to follow Lori Vallow, Chad Daybell, I have the mega series over 50 episodes telling everything we know so far about the major players in this case. And I am really proud of that series. It took months to get together. And I think it's hopefully it'll assist you guys if you're not super familiar to really dig deep. That's one thing I didn't do in Murdoch. I couldn't tell you half the rumors or what happened before the murders. I've been crazy busy. And other than the HBO Max documentary, like I haven't, in the Netflix, I haven't really seen a whole lot. So people will say, well, how can you say that about this person? Because this happened, like, I literally don't know y'all. And I think, you know, having a few days at home now, I have to say going into that trial, I went in with a very open mind because I did not know the full backstory of the Murdochs. Still don't. I'm diving into it now with some podcasts. Let me just say, I thought I had a good grip on everything. I knew nothing, right? There's been some very talented people out there with great sources that have brought the story to life. And I'm grateful for their podcast because now I'm getting to learn well after the fact some of the inner workings and dynamics of the family and them as individuals. And the Mandy Matney podcast is phenomenal. I just finally got the chance to listen. And the Murdoch Murders, Seton Brown, just love her, Matt Harris, all those guys that I met down there at the trial. So very interesting. But, you know, there were times, y'all, I really wasn't sure if he did it. There were days I had doubts. And really up until about a week and a half ago, two weeks, I could not have told you either way for sure what I thought. But it's interesting since I've been home a few days and I've decompressed and I've had time to reflect on that whole trial. Man, y'all, you do the inventory. It is really just pretty obvious, isn't it? What happened that night and how sad for Maggie and Paul and everybody that will miss them forever, and everybody that's been done wrong by this man. It's just so far-reaching, and and people who trusted him. I think that's the worst thing you could do is take any of these people and say, trust me, and then you take them for a ride. I just, I wouldn't be able to lay my head at night, but maybe we're just cut from totally different cloths. So, all right, guys, tomorrow we'll keep going with this unless something crazy happens. I'm going to be doing a little bit of research today on trying to better the podcast a little bit. I'm thinking about a little reformat, just some new things. I kind of feel like I'm at the point where I need to hire some graphics people or something to help me out because I'm just, that's not my strong suit or somebody to edit the podcast. That would really help. But in the meantime, I'm all hands on deck. I love it that way. I probably wouldn't hand anything over anyways. That's just how I roll. But Have a good rest of your day. We'll see you tomorrow. If you don't subscribe on YouTube, hit the like and subscribe button. Hit the little bell. I'll be doing some YouTube shorts. It'll update you every time I post. 
All right, guys, have a good rest of your day. We'll see you tomorrow. 